Welcome to the Blue Collar Barbarians podcast, brought to you by the Blue Collar Barbarians Network. And I got a barbarian for you guys today, my close friend, Carrie Hirschberger. Carrie, I am so, so excited to talk to you. Um, like we were talking pre-show, you have one of the most incredible stories that I have personally like, ever heard. Um, you're probably one of the only women in the world that intimidates me on the mountain. Like, I literally am like, uh, she could... She could have the bigger deer, dude, because you just go hard, right? Like, <laughs> and on a, on a serious note, somebody I admire very deeply. We've been friends for, I don't know, going on four or five years now through social media and different things like that. And I got just an insurmountable amount of respect for you and your uh, now fiance. Um, congratulations on that. That's recent as well. Thanks. Appreciate that yeah. very much. And thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, dude, I like I've been so excited literally all day. I was like, okay, cool. We got Carrie tonight. This is going to be a hitter. Um, full transparency for our guests. Carrie is probably like this girl is she's a, a monster. And it, like when I have been thinking about people to share their story, uh, especially in the fire world, like, you know, I have a place for whirlybirds because I went to school to be a helicopter pilot when I first got out of the Marine Corps and that's kind of yeah, where yeah, we yeah. first connected and talking. So you're just a monster and I cannot wait to share your story. Like sincerely, I, I really, really appreciate your time tonight, dude. Like, thank you. Well, thanks. You flatter me. Hopefully I can live up to that. <laughs> oh, you got that all day long. Um, on that note, guys, we're going to dive right in. This is going to be 2024 now when you're hearing this. Um, and I wanted to kick the year off by bringing you another savage. So Carrie, tell us about your background. I kind of let the bird out of the bag here that you're in the fire in the fire industry, but do you mind diving in here? Sure. I have nearly two decades at this point of experience through a multitude of uh, different uh, fire positions. I started on a 20-person hand crew the day after I graduated high school. Thought that it would be a wonderful way to pay my way through college. The first time I saw somebody rappel out of a helicopter, I was like, what is that and how do I do that? And so um, I worked through a multitude of years and, uh, and across different states to gain qualifications to make myself a competitive uh, applicant for a rappel crew, um, one of the ones that is uh, the highest reputation and the toughest uh, rookie academy out there, um, and uh, spent a multitude of years rappelling. Um, it quit being a job to just pay my way through college right when I started repelling because I just became so passionate about it. It was such an incredible job. And for those of you that don't know in the wildland fire uh, realm, a repeller, um, they do a multitude of jobs that everybody else does uh, across uh, across uh, a wildland fires uh, wildland firefighters position. However, they have an additional skill set where you can rappel 250 feet down a rope into uh, fires that hopefully you never get to hear about because we keep them small and then we hike out. So you live sleeping on a cardboard box for four to seven days with one to three of your best pals. And then you pack out with 100, 100 to 135 pound packs when you're done to a road and somebody picks you up and you do it again. So that was... Uh, that was one of the highlights of my uh, careers within the Forest Service while I was a wildland firefighter. Um, I then, um, through 
and we can go over this in, in detail uh, later if you want, but through uh, a few different um, fatality incidents and crashes that happened, it became really important to me to up my skill level and my crew supported me in getting my EMT certification. And I became really passionate about that. So I transitioned into a short haul module, which instead of sliding down a rope, when somebody's critically or catastrophically injured or ill, I get hooked 200 feet below a helicopter. They fly me in. I unhook, uh, treat and package the patient and fly back out with them. So that's your unique skill set within the wildland community. And I did that for a number of years and loved it and started feeling that major burnout of 1,200 hour overtime seasons between May and October, being home only eight days sometimes through that time frame. And uh, so I transitioned into uh, looking for something else and I found that there are federal firefighters that do both wildland and structure. And so I leveraged my wildland experience to be a great candidate. Um, and they provided me the training to uh, up me on the structure side. So for the last, uh, going on four years now, I've been a structure firefighter for the U.S. Army. Wow. Wow. So let me, uh, let me back up. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was cool. But so this started, your whole journey started as trying to pay your way through college. Yes. Is that what I heard? That's where yep. this all began for you. And then yep. what was it like? Like, so what was your first fire like for you? Was that like, were you hooked, you know? Oh, uh, it was, being on a hand crew is fun. Don't get me wrong. But um, I was hooked for sure the first year that I repelled, I knew that I wasn't going to be trying to use my degree that I did receive from the university of Washington. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to pursue, uh, environmental science and resource management outside of my path as a firefighter after, after that point, the camaraderie, especially that I had within that position, some of the leadership that I was able to, have and hopefully emulate uh, through that position is something that I'll carry throughout the rest of my career. And um, yeah, just the, just the level of professionalism you get on a crew like that. I just, I really liked working with hard hitters and and people that, that like to get after it the way that I do. So. Yeah. And I could only imagine like seeing your journey on the mountain and just, just your personality and the tenacity that you carry yourself with that makes uh, complete sense. But I mean, walk me through this. So how long did it take you to go from a hand crew to getting to rappel? I know you saw it and you were like, like, what's that? You know, like, but how long did that, what was that process like? Uh, That took me four years. So my first two years I was on that hand crew in, out of my hometown of Chelan in Washington. Um, And we, we got to go on some fantastic fires, especially my second year. We spent almost the entire summer in uh, remote parts of the um, Glacier Peak Wilderness, as well as up in the North Cascades National Parks. There were a multitude of fires up there in 2006, uh, Tin Pan and Flit Creek, and then the Tripod Fire up in the Met Howe, which were all project fires they lasted all summer long um it was it was a long game for sure with those but just a ton of time in the wilderness doing really physical amazing work sleeping hard every night and getting back up and doing it the next day um had a wonderful time doing that 
but that was that was the year that I saw somebody doing a proficiency rappel and said I want to do that. My boss said, "In all honesty, you're probably not going to get that training on this forest because there's so many people that are in line for helicopter training." And so I said, "Okay, well then I'll probably be applying for other places next year." So that moved me down to the south rim of the Grand Canyon. I worked for the Grand Canyon National Park that next year. Um, on an engine, but they knew that my goal was uh, to to get into aviation, and so they supported me through that. And I spent a lot of time with the uh, with their aviation program down there. They have an academy that they host uh, and allow people from outside the organization to come in and train in different positions. So they were very pleased to to work me in as as a park employee as well with that. So that you essentially you just didn't take no for an answer. That's how you. Yes. Into, that's how you got <laughs> into the helicopters. Is you, you just said, okay, so you don't have a route for me, so I'll make my own, right? Like, yes. At all yep. costs. And that. Took and you the next Grand Canyon. That's incredible. It was beautiful and and amazing, and it showed you just some of the comedy about how people leave their brains on vacation. I have, um, yeah, just just. When, you, when you're a tourist, you just leave your, your brain at home, watch people dangle their children over the edge of the Grand Canyon, had to uh, carry somebody out uh, who had a heart-related issue after they watched their son try to feed a squirrel a peanut, and the squirrel bit off part of the kid's finger, and so mom passed out, uh, released her bowels, woke back up again, had a heart issue in 100-degree weather, we had to hike her out on a backboard, all sorts of just really comedic and unique things that I, uh, that it's funny to tell the stories about now, but I wouldn't want to, uh, carry somebody out of the, the bottom there again like that. <laughs> no, I imagine not, but man, what a tale you, you got like, you got a forever index of sitting around the fire, like one lit, like literally though, <laughs> sitting around the fire and, be, and being like, uh, remember that one time? <laughs> Yes, certainly. Yeah. So when you went to the Grand Canyon, those guys knew, like, yeah, they put you on a tanker. You did whatever you had to do to get there, essentially, to get close. But they knew whoever you talked to, whoever hired you, and your chief is that is, or is that what it would be? Uh, um, yeah, they're they're called uh, like um, on the wildland side. They have fire management officers and assistant fire management officers. And the folks when they were doing the hiring and offered me the position knew what my end goal was. Uh, I think they were hoping I'd stay a little closer to home and just, just, uh, swap on into their aviation program. But, uh, my ultimate goal was to, to repel after I'd seen that. I was just immensely curious about it. I wanted to do that. That's awesome. So then work us through that. Okay. So we get to the Grand Canyon, we're doing all these crazy dealing with chipmunks biting off fingers and People holding their babies <laughs> over the edge and doing just losing their vacation brain is what we'll call it for time. Yes. But um, uh, then when do you start to get around helicopters? You said they, they were respectful of your goals. So like, what's that look like for you? They have an aviation program and they actually host a short haul crew as well down there. That was my first exposure to, uh, to seeing what short haul was, but I wasn't medically certified yet. I hadn't been through some of those um, fatalities and, and tough accidents that I saw later in my career. So that wasn't really where my path had taken me yet. Um, but they allowed me to accompany them on different missions because their, their helicopters, they have one that stays 
pretty much all the time in the park because of the fact that people have park brain and they're rescuing people and supporting um, Phantom Branch, which is the bottom of the, the canyon and any of the biology work that's going on there. So they're doing sling loads or rescuing people pretty much consistently there throughout the year. So that helicopter stays there for the majority of the time. They also help with rescues up on uh, in Zion National Park. And so it was really easy to, uh, aside from the rescues, those are their own specialized thing, but all of those other missions, I was able to uh, to start to develop my um, my familiarity with, uh, with rotorcraft. And uh, one of their other helicopters that they have there is allowed off the park. And that went on assignment into Northern California. And I was able to to go and, and work is what they call hell attack on, on wildland fires up in, in Northern California for that year as well. Wow. That's incredible. And so you're at what at this point, year five, year six? Uh, that was year three. What? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. So yeah. your third year as a freaking fi- wildland firefighter and you're on heli attacks because you, because you just went for it. I mean, yeah, I, I made what I really wanted very well known and found people that were willing to, to support that and push through that. I, uh, received my helicopter crew member certification that summer, which was pretty much one of the last pieces that made me at least a, um, an attractive or interesting candidate for a repel program. Um, when I was going through it, uh, and, and trying to become a repel candidate, it was a little bit more, um, it was a little bit more competitive than it is right now. Right now, um, the Forest Service is really hurting for wildland firefighters because of pay disparity between state organizations and structure organizations and the Forest Service. So they have a huge portion of their very uh, certified and qualified uh, workforce that are leaving. And so there's plenty of momentum or, or, or upward progression, I guess, within the, the community right now, um, even to the point where uh, there are uh, smoke jumper bases that are considering um, decreasing their physical qualifications because they're not able to uh, get enough rookies through their academies anymore, which is just unheard of. That's, that's, uh, that's never happened before. Um, you have people that want to be sky gods pretty badly normally and uh, work to be the physical beasts that they require for it. But it's just, it's a different time right now. And, and we're just not recruiting and retaining as many people as they used to. So when I was going through it, pretty much you had to have your firefighter type one done and, and they really wanted to see helicopter crew member and uh, hopefully have seen you in a few different facets of fire by that time, whether it was an engine and a hand crew or a hand crew and a hell attack program or something like that. They just, they wanted to see that you'd had some experience before you got there. Um, so the next year was the first year that I really could have been a, a pretty decent candidate uh, for repelling. I applied and was actually accepted um, and asked asked to join a different repel crew. Uh, my my number two choice uh, uh, offered me a position, and I looked at the time schedule in which they'd want me, and it was about two to three weeks before I would graduate early with my college degree. And so I prioritized getting that stamp done and, and pushing forward through that prior to pushing into the repel community. So I worked on a hand crew one more year before I ended up 
repelling. Dang. But that's cool to know, like, you could have. You had the invitation. I so did. Essentially, <laughs> you just stuck to your guns and finished whatever you needed to finish, right? Like, just so you could say you were done with college and not skim, right? But yeah. You, so you could have made it in, in three years, three and a half years? My fourth year, I could have been repelling, but I think I was uh, I was more mentally prepared and physically prepared, and I had uh, accomplished one of the other tasks that I had set out to accomplish, uh, getting my right. college degree. And so I was just I was ready for it, and I was hungry for it at that point. So it was it was a good fit for me at that point. Yeah, so I bet you that made it even more sweet for when you succeeded, right? Because Yes, you got the invitation, but damn, the time doesn't work out. And then uh, in the back of your head, I'm sure while you're freaking fighting fire all summer on that hand crew, you're probably thinking about like, oh, I could be a rotary bird, but you're still <laughs> proud of yourself, right? Because you, you did what you were, what you set out to do. That's incredible. So then like, let's talk about before we jump into the helicopter side of things, let's talk about what it's like to be like, what's it like coming up? What's a, what's the day in a life of a, somebody in a hand crew? I mean, that's rough work, right? Uh, yeah, it can be. So um, there, there's the, the glamorous side where you're actually on a 14 to 21 day assignment and, and doing some really amazing, um, amazing work, whether it's burning out or whether you have the fire that's pushing the line that you just created or uh, chasing slops or spots or other things like that. Those, those are the really exciting moments. Um, but there's, there's a lot of monotony to being on a hand crew too. There's, there's the days that you're waiting for your ticket to get punched. You're waiting to get that off force dispatch to be able to go and fight some of those big fires. And so while you're at home, um, at least on the districts that I came from, you're a fuels resource. So you go out every day, um, you get to work. Uh, when you're not on a fire incident, it is it is uh, built into the agreement that firefighters are, at least federal firefighters, are allowed an hour a day to PT to make sure that you're uh, ready to go on those incidents and, and physically fit. Uh, so you usually work out for an hour, uh, some kind of group PT, whether it's a um, a chain run, an Indian run, a run for speed, um, some kind of calisthenics, some push-ups, pull-ups, all sorts of stuff that you do together and cheer each other on and root each other, root for each other. Um, and then you go out in the field and you run a chainsaw all day, limbing and thinning and stacking piles and, uh, not the glamorous things that you see with, you know, firefighters hiking up a hillside with trees torching behind them or, or what have you. But there's a good portion of your summer that isn't filled with that adrenaline. And it is, you know, it is work that I certainly took pride in because I love those landscapes in the outdoors, as you well know, and I want to see those maintained for people well beyond my generation. And so knowing that you're providing those fuels treatments that are going to allow that landscape to be more resilient to fire in the future and be able to continue to have trees is a, a pretty spectacular thing to me. But it's, you know, it's a, a labor that you have to find. You have to, as we were talking earlier before we started to record, you have to find, you know, the positive or you have to find the why in some of those day-to-day -day operations because you get hired to be a firefighter and sometimes you don't see fire for a few months. <laughs> yeah, and you get to know sponges and cleaning gear and washing trucks and 
all the monotonous yes. shit, right? Like the tedious Yeah, your stuff. military service, you know about the monotonous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, yeah, busy work, right? Mm-hmm. What's, there was that saying, I, I oh, it's going to slip my mind down too, but uh, yeah, I'll have it later, I'm sure. But essentially like busy work, you know, like you just do mindless stuff like, um, what is it? hurry up and wait essentially, yes. you know, like yep. hurry up to stand by. That's the word I was the phrase I was looking for. Sorry. Um, no, but that's incredible, dude. So you work through the hand crew. You could have done it year four. You made your goal essentially. So in three years, which by the way, for our audience, um, for those that aren't super familiar with fires, like that's an extremely accelerated pace to do something like that. Like you have to want it there. In 2012, I want to say, like, I thought I was, like, looking at becoming wildland. I just got out of the Marine Corps, was going to do it on summer stuff. And it, like, it wasn't that I couldn't have done it, but it, it is very competitive. You have certain timelines. You have to do these certain fire tests thing, PT test thing to even be considered, right? You have to go, for us, I think we had to go to walk at some track and get timed with a ruck and different shit just to pre-qualify. And then there was a slew of paperwork and certifications that you had to, um, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head. You would actually know that. Right. And so, but anyway, I know that like looking at the prestige, right. Like the smoke jumpers are doing what you're doing. The repellent, like that's typically like what, what's the average person do that in? Uh, at, at the time, probably, uh, four to six years was, was a good average anymore that, that time frame, like I said, has kind of shrunk just because um, we're we're not getting as many people and and that you're not getting as many of the go getters anymore, and we're not retaining those those skilled forces as as much as I hate to say it, but that's that's yeah. the truth at this point. So and that sucks, and that comes down to money, huh? Yeah, and just that quality of life, and um, you know, there's there's the saying. Um, a lot, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you guys get paid in sun- sunsets. It's like, well, also sunsets don't necessarily pay the, the bills and you have people relying on you at home. And so they pretty much, the, the way that they have uh, kind of, what they have created is pretty much essentially to make a livable wage as a wildland firefighter in federal service, you're relying on that over time. And if you don't get it in a season, then you're really, really strapped. And if you do get it, then it means, like I said, there's some summers where you're only home. I There was a summer that I was home for eight days. I think I had a 1,200-hour overtime season, and I did a lot of my R&R, which are your days off. Because um, if you go 14 to 21 days, they're required to give you two paid days off. Um, I did a lot of those uh, at out uh in cities near the incident and then came right back to it. So, um, there were, yeah, there was a lot of time spent away. And so that's becoming really challenging for people to just to maintain their relationships and to take care of the things, the stressors that go on at home that that's asking a lot of people. And so they're looking elsewhere that provides them a little bit better quality of life and, or, you know, a little bit better padded paycheck. Yeah, uh, success definitely comes with a sacrifice anymore, uh, especially now. Um, I think a lot of people miss that. Everybody wants the carrot, but they don't know what it takes to grow it, right? Like they don't understand the the weight. Um, That being said, so I want to know, so you finally, you get your your helicopter crew, you graduate college, 
you, so you set out, you do what you said you're going to do. Um, your mom and dad are probably relieved. Okay, cool. You got your, you got, congratulations, Carrie, you did it. And you're already like, I'm doing fires. Like, this is my thing now. Um, first crew, what's that like? First, uh, repel crew specifically before you get into the, the switch, the short, short haul or whatever. Short haul. Yeah. Rip. Repel crew was awesome. My my first year was definitely it was the one that 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 uh, iron forged me in in terms of recognizing like we talked about earlier that that's what I wanted to do for a career. I had absolutely fabulous leadership that I truly admire to this day. And like I said, I I I try to emulate the leadership style that I received while I worked there. Um, that was actually it was 2009 was the the first year that I repelled. And, uh, my, uh, my crew was in California and I got set up to be a dip site manager, um, at this, this remote place where helicopters come to put water in their bucket and then put it on the fire. And the, at the dip site, I was managing a S61, um, helicopter. So a heavy helicopter, the big, big boys, um, it crashed at my, Yep it crashed at my dip site and what? I was the, yes, <laughs> it tried to pull too much water for the elevation and temperature. It tried to pull forward momentum. It hit its landing gear on the tank, which then caused it as it kind of was pulling forward momentum. It caused its tail to dip and it had a rotor strike and it went up in the air and then crashed onto its side. Um, I was the highest level of expertise at, and leadership in the area in qualification, um, at least initially. Funny story, uh, California identifies their leadership qualifi- qualification positions by the color of your helmet. My fire crew, my rappel crew's uh, helmet color was white, which means that your division qualified, so, which I was not. That's a position that I, I still have uh, yet to acquire, so it's pretty far up there. Um, and so everybody coming in, all the incoming resources thought that I was at least division qualified. So they came to me and was like, what do you need? What can I do? And I ran the incident all the way through. Nobody even uh, took it away from me, which uh, was partially a product of the fact that I had such good training in my uh, Repel Academy and uh, and all my rookie training with my Repel crew that when that happened, I knew exactly what to do. And I just fired off commands and gave people tasks and it ended up being one of the first non-fatality helicopter crashes that California had had in quite a number of years. Um, The pilots both came out of it okay Um, but so um, just to show you a little bit about what I consider really good leadership and one of the things that forged my fondness of my my leaders that were there is my boss knew that this uh, this happened to me. He heard all the radio traffic. They knew that I was coming off the hill that night. Um, I had to drive back because I couldn't fly because the helicopter crashed at the landing sites and was there and we had secured the scene. And so instead of a uh, 20 minute flight, it was a four and a half hour drive after I dealt with that incident to get back into the base camp, uh, into ICP. And uh, the food folks weren't going to stay open for me and they refused to give my boss a tray of food um because because it wasn't for him um 
And so to make them stay open for me, if they had people in line, they couldn't close. So he stood in line for like three hours until I got there so that I could have food when I got off the hill. <laughs> That's incredible. So just, just little things like that about taking care of your people um, that just really, really uh, touched me, certainly working there. And three days after that incident happened, uh, my crew, including myself, witnessed and responded to the first and only um, Forest Service uh, rappel fatality. There was a person on another crew that uh, incorrectly hooked up his equipment, and when he went to when he went to the skid of the helicopter and went to go inverted with your equipment attached to a rope you're completely able to do that but he had not hooked up they didn't catch it in the buddy check and he fell 250 feet to the ground and um and didn't make it man so that what was that like if you can talk about that at all what was was that your first time like really dealing with trauma at this point? I mean, I know you've dealt with injuries and other things, but this is 250 foot fall is unimaginable to what people could even. Yeah. So, uh, I had been, um, and this is I right had been, after a helicopter crash that you just, that dealt was with? three days after, after that. So the helicopter crashed, the next day I had to go up with the invest accident investigation uh, team to, because the helicopter pilot had told them and he told me right before I flew up there, he said, just so you know, I told him it was your fault because you didn't have a very uh, clean dip site and I was distracted by vehicles and people. And that's why I crashed. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I had just, the the day after the crash, I had to go up with the accident investigation team and be like, well, no, this isn't what happened. Like you could hear the rotor pitch change and he tried to pull forward momentum and he had a landing gear strike and that's what caused his rotor strike and he, and he went down. So I don't know what he told you, but, and they went round and round with me for about 30, 45 minutes. And I said, look, if this happened the way that I say it happened, if we get a ladder and climb up and look at that hello well you'll see the paint transfer either from the tail or the skid marks from the landing gear but if it's happened the way that I said it happened that'll be there so we had to go and do that and of course it was there I was validated and vindicated I guess and uh so yeah I had one operational shift that was normal before um before uh TJ's uh fatality and so we 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 saw it happen whenever, whenever another rappel crew is doing proficiencies, because every 14 days you're required to do a proficiency uh, rappel to maintain currency because it's such a, you know, high risk, low frequency event that you want to make sure that everybody knows exactly what they're doing through that process. Um, and so whenever another crew does proficiencies, you kind of watch, you critique, uh, did they, did they go fully inverted? Did they, you know, how, you know, how, how smooth are they? So of course we were all watching when it happened. And, uh, so our, our crew, including my supervisor was, uh, first on scene, uh, first to try to provide patient care. And you're looking at this person that's in, you know, the yellow that you see of wildland firefighters and the green pants, and he's got a flight helmet on. And so like you could picture any one of your buddies under there. Right. And for me, never having gone through something like that before, I didn't have the medical knowledge to know that um, 
that there wasn't really much that we were going to do to be able to help TJ. We, he was showing, you know, what we can, what the untrained eye sees as signs of life, but he was agonal breathing. Like he, he was, he was not going to make it. And so, um, one of my coworkers said, Hey, why don't you go back to the pad and wait for our helicopter to come? And when he, when he comes, tell him to shut down. And so I listened to the remainder of that event over radio and I knew what had happened when my boss asked, um, over the radio for a, uh, to give a landline update because you just don't give that type of news over a radio frequency. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, that was a really tough time for the rappel community, um, for our crew that had people that were, uh, really, really in that. Um, it was tough when we got back from assignment because we had been briefed a little bit about, uh, PTSD and what some of the signs that people may look and see could look like. And, um, I was seeing a lot of those signs in my coworkers. So I was trying to play mother bear and really take care of them. And it took until, uh, until I had been, um, laid off for the winter that I really just recognized in myself, like, I'm tired. I always have a headache. I feel like if somebody looks at me wrong, I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> like, this is not me. This is not normal. And so it took me a little bit to try to uh, get some help for myself and get me right for sure. And part of that was getting in some EMT training because I just wanted the tool sets. That was part of my healing was I wanted to be able to help next time. Yeah. So you wanted to take hurt and turn it into hope or help. Like, yes. You want, it, it, all it did is make you want to sharpen your sword and become more of an asset. Yeah, like you said uh, before, what really speaks to you, your purpose is your pain, right? Yeah. And so going through that, like, it it really um, steered me to where I am right now because uh, then going on the short haul crew, like I said, a, a major component of that job, um, well, not necessarily a major component, not everybody's getting critically injured or ill every day, right? But, like, when somebody does, you're the person that's going to get called, and so you have to be the subject matter expert on a multitude of different traumatic injuries and uh, ailments that you could expect a wildland firefighter in a remote area to see. And that's, you know, tree related incidents, heat related illnesses, uh, you know, chainsaw cuts, anything like that. Like that's, those are the types of things that you, that I really leaned into was my uh, EMS training. And that definitely is still very relevant to me now that I'm, a little bit more structure fire leaning because we not only service our entire uh, military installation and, and training area, but we have mutual aid agreements uh, for the highways that surround our property as well as the local communities. So we do, we do a lot and I take pride in that. And that all stemmed from that one event of pain, certainly. And what's crazy to think is because of your actions, there's more people alive today. That's something that if I was you, I would, you know, you're a very modest and humble person, but you should be proud. I, I know you are, but I hope you are like extremely proud of, of that because I know like, you know, I just did an episode with the Jason uh, Severia of Holster Gator and we talked about like he created something that literally because of what he invented, people are safe, right? Like, yes. That's a direct impact. And literally because you decided not to sit in pain and dwell, but you used it to motivate you to become an asset, essentially a multi-tool in a different way. 
like there's people at home with their families today that would not otherwise be possibly. And like, that's incredible, Carrie. Like it's, it's incredible. And I'm proud of you. Like, you know, I tell you that like about shit all the time, but like hearing this, you know, I didn't know this story, but uh, that just speaks even more to the testament of your character and who you are. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I know that's not easy to talk about that, but I, um, for our audience, I think it's really important to talk about stuff that has been a struggle for you because um, th there's certainly a tenacity and tough, but there's also a saving grace in, in speaking about it and in being real and, and you can be as tough as you want to be, but like the truth is that until you learn to deal, you're not tough. Like until you can get through it, until you can find the lesson, find the value, find the light, right? Like, and there's nothing light about that gentleman dying, you know, rest in peace. And I hope his family is doing well to this day, you know, or they find mm -hmm. peace anyway. But, um, moving forward. Um, so you do that for a while that that's an eventful 72 hours. Holy shit. Like yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> your first helicopter crash, the pilot tries to blame it on you. You go back and forth, argue with the guy, come to find out, Oh, look, you're right. Um, and let's be real. Like the time frame that we're talking about here, the world is still a dick to women. So they probably treated you like you know, you're a chick and you don't know what the hell you're talking about, especially your word versus a pilot, right? Like, so they're looking to pin this on something you did initially. And then, it's... You, lose, then you lose a crew member, man. That's, that is a tough 72 to 96 hours. Like. That was. <laughs> wow. And that, and you still, all that did is make you more dynamic, but. And so for our listeners, again, like I want to stress, like you, you're going to come across things in life that are going to hit you and they're going to humble you. They're going to hurt. It's, it might not even make sense at the time. It might not make sense a year later. Right. But you're going to come across situations where you can literally let it break you or make you and not to be cliche in that, but like legitimately you can take tough and turn it in to something like turn it into whatever that is. You know, I don't have another T for that. I, I wish I did. I could, sometimes <laughs> I got it, but I don't, I like, yeah. I just know that I just know that tough and trauma, like trauma and tough can become like literally a, a, a turning point. How's that? Because yeah, it, it, it can become a tremendous opportunity as well to grow and to just to, to really become, a better version, a better variant, if you will. And like in your case, an even more of an asset. So you go through all that and that's a crazy season, but then you stay, you're still at this point, you're still in repel for a few more years, right? Like you still. So the, the next year I actually, um, it, it was the, the following year that I ended up uh, getting my, my EMT, but I, I recognized that I did not, get myself the help that I needed. And I didn't want to be a, um, the only thing I ever want to be is an asset. I never want to be a liability. I'm not going to be the weak link. I refuse. We all bring something else to the table. Sometimes, you know, when I say weak link and you see the gentleman that stand next to me, when I repel, you'll be like, you know, <laughs> your my waist is as big as their arm. So there's, there's different types of uh, of strength certainly, but I, I was never going to be the weak link. So I, 
I took off the next season. I still worked for the Forest Service. I worked as in forest inventory and analysis. So I uh, hiked out into the wilderness and uh, and inventoried random plots to do land use change over time study. But I just needed to make sure that my head was straight and give myself a bit. And when I found out, it, it took me that summer to realize that what I needed or what I wanted was to get my EMT uh and and then push push back into that community again but it 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 took me a year to to get that because i didn't recognize that i needed help and i didn't officially ask for help um i think those are especially anybody that's service-based um you know any positions that are service-based or whether they just in their soul are a service-based person the hardest things to say are i want or i need and um, I definitely had a really, really hard time with that for a little bit, but I found that voice and, and figured out how to make myself an asset to, to not only me, but back to the fire community again. Yeah. And that's incredible. And I'm glad you did. Cause I mean, your story just gets better. So we're going through there. I, I, I want to get through to where you currently are. So you go, you go rotary for, you come back after a little bit of a reprieve. Get mm-hmm. your mind right. You come back sharper, stronger with a new yes. skill set. What's that like? Speed us up to there. Now, what are we doing? Uh, after after the rappel, I went uh, short haul. So that yeah. was that was when I worked uh, that service. And um, that was after probably exhilarating, I'm assuming. It is. That is. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it would be because I love rappelling so much, and it's kind of co- like. Because when you're repelling, you're in Bell Medium platform. So, you know, think MASH style helicopters for, for folks that, that don't know Bell Medium. But so just just the wop, 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 uh, really, really awesome. Like the, the way that you go through and they train you through the Repel Academy, it takes you because you're so concentrated on the steps that it took me probably until my 10th time out on the skid, like hooked up to the equipment to actually look around and be like, yeah, I'm doing this, right? So like... That in itself is a super, super fun thing, but uh, short haul, you're under um, like uh, A-star, A-stars primarily are are what are accomplishing that mission. So it's a little smaller, lighter helicopter. The helicopter that can though, the only one that's uh, landed on the top of Everest, right? So they're, they're really good at high elevation. They still have, they still have a place in performance, but uh, when you're 200 feet suspended below a helicopter, like an A-star, and it's flying you through the air, you don't hear the rotor noise. You can talk to the person that's there with you because you usually it's an EMT that's required for that. And then an attendant and you have your medical bag that kind of sits between you or whatever. And like it's it's like you're flying. It's just it's I it's its be, own magical skill set for sure. It's it, it was an experience. Absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> not a heights guy huh no it's so get this uh on my you know we're this is the blue collar barbarian podcast so i'd be lying to tell you if i didn't have a wish list or a, a, a vision board you know um uh and a star uh is on my list it, ever since i was this big like yeah, A stars are so dope. So I want one. I want to fly one. I don't know that I like. <laughs> you don't want to be under tethered. one. Uh, I don't know that I want to be tethered to one. No. Gosh, uh, I mean, you know. The, the, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say those guys. Those guys that fly long line and do stuff like that. Um, and I call it cowboy flying and the stuff that they do. It, it's they are artists. They are magicians. They are. 
just incredibly, incredibly talented pilot. So like that wouldn't be, but like uh, for our audience, helicopters aren't supposed to fly anyway. Like they defy <laughs> gravity as it is. Like it, they really don't make sense to begin with. So being hooked to the bottom of one, and you're saying you don't even hear the rotor wash or nothing. It's just no. You hear you hear like the wind rushing by, and that's about it. But you can have a conversation with the person at almost talking volume. Um, and yeah, it's it was fantastic. But yeah, like to talk about those pilots, the reason that I had such faith in them uh, to even be considered for a short haul pilot. Uh, they have this these set of pillars that they have to keep uh, a weight in between for, I don't remember whether it's five or ten minutes. They can't go above it. They can't let it touch the ground. They can't let it touch the sides. Those guys, you they're required. You stick your hand out to accept the ring that you're going to hook onto. They have to be able to place it in your hand. They have a one-step rule, kind of like for basketball or whatever, like you you have to have a foot that's planted. You can take one step, but otherwise they have to be able to put that in your hand. So the level of artistry that those guys have in in that aircraft is just unparalleled. They were, I loved the pilots that I worked with during my time doing that. Yeah, and those A-stars are fast too. They are, they are, those are just such cool. The only other one that's cooler is that little MD-500, but uh, <laughs> just because it's nimble, you know, and it's a workhorse. But anyway, I'll digress. So, <laughs> You're flying, you're flying through the air. You're flying through yeah. the air 200 feet. What's that like? Does it just dawn on you one day? Like, I did it? Like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, my, my supervisors doing that really um, – they understood what they were getting with me. We talked about this before I, before I, um, before we hit the record button, but for me, it was most important, um, especially having seen really great management and, uh, I didn't really address it, but some pretty poor management. I wasn't chasing a career ladder. I was chasing quality work environments with high reliability organizations that like that could get after it the way that I wanted to. And my bosses, knew that. And I was involved in one of those organizations when I was on the short haul and the rappel crew, but my short haul bosses knew that the position that I filled on the crew was a GS five, uh, which is pretty, it's the, the lowest permanent position that you have on or on a short haul crew. So I'm not paid very well. Um, but I was qualified by my second year in doing positions, um, that were at, my very top bosses level. So I was hella base manager. I was in charge of $350 million worth of aircraft on one of the hella bases I was managing. Um, I was a, a short haul spotter. So I was the one in the aircraft with the pilot uh, instead of uh, suspended on the line. Um, uh, so I was, that's, that's a, an added supervisory position. I was helicopter manager. So running our day-to-day operations and missions that we had, um, so yeah, it was, I, I liked the challenge, but I also, it made me really nervous because, um, I was, I was punching well above my level and the liability of taking on some of those jobs being paid the pittance that I was, I was not going to be able to afford, uh, or afford the, uh, lawyer fees if something did go wrong. And if, you know, if a lawsuit were to, to happen. So, um, that was a little troublesome, but it was also a really great challenge. And I love that they were able to put that faith in me. You want to talk about being a barbarian, dude. Like this is literally the story of you just <laughs> grab 
if if you can put your hands on it and influence it, you do. Like, I want this. This is what it's going to take. And the sacrifice in this case is time and money, right, for you. But mm-hmm. what? how dynamic does that make your resume to be able to do all that different shit? Like you said, not being the weakest, like, your supervisors do like, okay, well, she's a permanent position at a lower pay rate, but she can literally run the show if any of us are out. Like, you can do everything outside of fly the bird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you could probably even do that, too, if you needed to. But, like, um, <laughs> you know. Maybe. I never had any time in an A-star. My, uh, my repel pilot might have uh, put me behind the collective because you have dual fronts that are both live. But I don't yeah. think I'm supposed to talk about that. Yeah, you know there. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, how cool is that? That that you like? I mean, literally, you would talk about leadership, dude. Like, you know, everybody around you's job. You don't just know yours. You don't just show up and do the job. You don't just show up and do a job. You showed up to win. Like, you showed up to run this shit. And and like, and I don't mean this at all in a demeaning way, but like this is a man's world, right? Like, especially at the time, maybe not so much now. I mean, even still now, but like not, especially back then, like it was the tone of the world was different. What can we get into a little bit of like, what was that like? Right. That's, and this isn't asking, I'm not asking for our audience's sake. I know you know this, but like, I'm not asking, Oh, poor me or sympathy, but I just like, like tell these, tell these people like, this is tough. Like you gotta like, Earning your way in this respect, especially it's a doggy dog world. Everybody's got an opinion. Oh, you're not made for this. You can't physically like everything is to try to prove you wrong in some essences, you know, like in some, I can see. So what, what was that like coming up? You know, you just had, you just had to take your licks and deal with it and prove it by outperforming. Right. Um, like I won't, I won't say which place I worked that I had this, but I had one middle level management person that said, "Well, you know, we uh, only hired you because we are we need to have one vagina on the crew, and we hired two of you because we hear you have to go to the bathroom together." So, you know, when, when that's the, when that's the basis of, of where things are at, then you just, you just have to lean into it and roll into it and, and prove that you have a spot there. I mean, even on my, there, there was a little bit of time where after my rookie training in Academy with the repel program, I, I was beat up like the, the crew, the Malheur Repel crew that I was on, I am super, super prideful of the fact that they have, or they did when I went through, I don't know where everybody else is and where they're at now, but they had the toughest rookie training. And I reveled in the fact that I was going to get to go through that. And some of the training that they provided me was what made me successful when I had that helicopter crash, because we had gone through a whole bunch of different brain games and scenarios when you're really tired, when you don't expect it. Um, that, that really pushed you to, um, to be a better, uh, person. But the first day that I showed up for that crew, uh, they had a little gym. I showed up early and I hear just this death metal, kill my mom, you know, and this person just screaming and I like go in there and there's this guy just like, hulking around the biggest weights that they have in there, just throwing them around, screaming to this music or whatever. And come to find out this Hulk of a man is like one of my trainers. And so like 
he physically beat us up every single day. You're doing two a day workouts uh, to be on a rappel crew to, you know, to, um, for, we talk, you were kind of talking about the, the very basic entry level um, ruck that you have to do for, for any wildland position. And that's called the pack test. So 45 pounds in uh, 45 minutes, it's three miles. Um, so a rappel crew, you have to do that. You also have to run a mile and a half in uh, 10 and a half minutes or 10 minutes. I don't remember what it was at the time. You had to hold a two minute plank. You had to be able to do seven push ups. Uh, you had to be able to do two, uh, a certain amount of uh, like sit ups in a minute and a certain amount of push ups. Uh, I, I forget exactly what the numbers were. But uh, in addition to that, in, in one of the years that I was there, you're doing all of that in the same day. Plus, they had a 100-pound pack that you had to do over three miles, um, and I think they had 60 minutes uh, that they were shooting for you to get to complete that. That was a test that one year. But um, but you're doing that in the same day. The very first day you show up, you're, you're running through all that kind of stuff. So And then they're like, oh, now you're going to go for another run because this is that was just the warm-up. This is your actual training, right? So we do hikes and runs and all of these calisthenics and stuff every day. And then they take you out for a week in the woods where they just have you navigate and do all of this other really cool stuff. Um, so I got done with that. And finally, finally you're a peer, right? Before then he was my trainer, this, this person that has arms like this and just, you know, brute strength to the point and just stubborn strength that I think if you cut him off at the ankle, he'd still run a marathon like on the yeah. little bloody stump like he's just he has it man like physically that guy is gonna beast everybody um and I was feeling a little bit downtrodden because it's like man what do I bring to this crew how can I show you know how much of a barbarian I am and it hit me one day when uh I was organizing this medical locker that we have because when you repel into these remote areas they drop these two cardboard boxes to you and pretty much say sayonara and you're out there for until you either need a resupply or until you have the fire out um and so uh in those cardboard boxes is a medical bag so that if something happens you have the, the at least the bare necessities to deal with stuff and so i was rearranging the medical closet in the order that our checklist was so that you could just grab all of the items row by row and this, uh, this guy that is now my peer that was my trainer comes up to me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Can I help? And I explained it to him. It was one of those metal cabinets, like the old school ones, the double doors that have like the, you know, there's this much of a lip on both sides that like there's still space behind it. But, you know, but but you have to be clever about it. So I put the boxes in in their order. And in order to fit the last box in. You had to put it in first and then the second box in. Otherwise, the lip would prevent you from being able to slide it in there, right? So, like, I had been doing this for a couple of rows. He asked if he could help out. I'm turned around not paying attention, and I hear him like, rrr, rrr, and I turn around, and he's trying to slam the box, like, just, you know, using all that brute strength that we just talked about to slam that box in the corner. And it's like, hold on, you know, take this box out, slide that one in put this one here you know it's like okay that was my light bulb moment like aha like you know I belong here because you have to have people that think outside of the box you you know there's the there's the time and place for the guy that can just absolutely smash things but you have to have some critical thinkers you have to have some people that are willing to take you to another level or have some of that creativity and that's one of the things that I brought to 
to that crew. And so like that to me, you know, as a woman in the field is, uh, is something that I've always considered because I don't have the testosterone that you guys are fortunate to have. Right. So like we, we talk about it, like there's Olympic records for males and females and they're different, you know, by a long shot for a reason. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to go head to head and compete perfectly with a person that has all of that gift of testosterone, but I do bring other things to the field. And a lot of that is just, you know, a very team oriented attitude and somebody that really wants to get something done and I'll, I'll work harder and and longer and, and push past some of those people that have that God given physique and, and, and gift, um, just because I want it more. And so that's, I think what a lot of women that, that really, really, succeed in this career field they want it they stay hungry for it and and they push and they don't do it because they think that they have something to prove and you can't have a chip on your shoulder you have to do it because you want to be a part of the team and you want to be able to contribute yeah i love what you said there i want it more like that's the flat out you won't outwork me you won't do this you you won't beat me you aren't you're not gonna go further than me like i want it more than you period the end like and that mentality has served you through and through, I'm, I can just imagine throughout your life, um, that seems to be a repetitive thing with you, which is cool. <laughs> like if, if you look at your story, I mean, just think back, like everything in your story is if you want it, you legitimately go and get it. You manifest and create the opportunity and crush it. That's just what you do, Carrie. And it's, and it's admirable. Um, it's admirable, excuse me, about you. And I, I just, man. That's so powerful. So you did that for just an incredible story. I know that we're kind of speeded up here, but you, you fly, you're doing, you're hanging off, you're doing this, you're, you're doing all these different positions, managing helicopters, $350 million in assets is uh, a big deal, by the way. Um, it felt like <laughs> a, really a big deal. deal. <laughs> it's a really big deal. And then uh, you realize like, okay, I've been doing this for what? 16 years or 17 years at this point. So now it's time to look for something new. What was that trend? What's it like going from like cream of the crop to like a whole, another, like talk about lateral moves, right? Like another mm-hmm. jump to structures. It, uh, it was really, um, it was really nerve wracking. It's a huge risk, right? It's uh it's outside of my comfort zone. I've, I've built myself up, especially in the aviation community, to be a subject matter expert. I have bosses that are super supportive of me and recognize my value. And um, and you go from a position where you continue to be offered these training opportunities. And like I said, you, you know your value. You don't have to prove it to going back to the very bottom of the barrel. And the department that I walked into initially, um, even though it's the same one I work for now, uh, was very different when I walked in and I was the first female that they had had in over, you know, a couple of decades. I think one person said since the eighties, um, I think that there was one gal before that, uh, um, sooner than that, but it sounds like she got absolutely spit up and chewed out and, uh, and, and taken out of the organization by just the, the acidity of the environment. Um, so I knew I was going to have a challenge and, you know, even, 
trying to learn how to throw a 24 foot ladder by yourself. Uh, the first couple times I did it, the, the first instructor that I had was like, well, you just throw it up on your shoulder and then you just do this like this and, you know, just rotate it up here and just do that. And for me, especially as somebody that's a little bit shorter, the mechanics of that just don't work. And so I looked at another guy that was fairly short like me and I didn't say like, Hey, you're short. Like, tell me how you do this. But I was like, Hey, do you have any tips for me? And he's like, yeah, here's your tip. You just don't belong here. And so it was a huge, like re, you know, rebirth, having to reinvent myself, having to reprove myself. And, um, we got rid of a few really acidic personalities, um, about a year, year and a half ago, but like it took, it, it was a year and a half of, um, my, my fellow is super supportive. He works for the, the forest service still, we met fighting fire together. And, you know, every day I would come home just needing a little bit of a defuse time. And, um, and he saw how stressed I was and, and how, how frustrated I was. Cause I wanted that camaraderie. I want to work for a high reliability organization. We were not a super motivated department initially when I got there. Um, and all of those things were really troublesome to me because I'm not somebody that can just leave work at work. I take so much pride in what I do that like that it, it is truly ingrained in me. And, uh, I'm glad that I, I stuck it out. I ended up getting a pretty, pretty strong recognition and accolades because we had a whole bunch of turnover that was happening and I knew that it was happening. So I worked really hard on recruiting people that I would be prideful to work with a lot of which that came from the forest service. So I, you know, in, am part of partly responsible for some of that mess exodus we were talking about from the organization. Cause I, I drew a whole bunch of people in that I was like, this person's a beast. This person's a beast. This person has a ton of experience doing this kind of stuff. This person would be an asset and they all have great attitudes. I want them. And so I pursued a lot of people. I took time out of um, my own personal time on days off, helping people write resumes and review resumes and answering questions about the the process. My chief, anybody that called him and inquired, he sent them to me. The union sent everybody that contacted them to me. Um, and so we ended up having a really, like, for us, an amazingly amazing improvement in our recruitment and uh, the people that we got from that. And we moved to a new fire station. And like I said, got rid of some of those acidic personalities, but um, it's an amazing department now, something that we can be really proud about and we still have work to do and we'll continue to work on that because the work's never done. (laughs) You know, we, we can keep sharpening, keep getting better. Um, but it's, it's really awesome to see, but it, it takes some tenacity and it takes the ability to just, you know, try to out survive some people sometimes, especially if they have a really negative attitude and don't sink to their level, figure out a way to, to overcome the obstacles that you have and, you know, not in spite of them, but despite them, despite those people. That's incredible. So did you get a promotion with that too then with these accolades you got? <laughs> no, I ended up with a, cause I, I work for the U S army. We talked about that. I ended up with a, uh, a few, com, um, challenge coins from some pretty, uh, upper ups within the, the organization, um, which is, which is certainly an honor. And, um, I did receive a, a small one-time, uh, financial incentive, which was really, uh, generous. It wasn't what I was seeking at all. I, all I wanted was to work with good people. So yeah, anything incredible. else was a bonus. 
That's incredible, dude. Like, uh, and that last little bit there when you're talking about like, okay, so I didn't like this, but rather than let it defeat me, I defeated it. And I, it took your personal time. It took, uh, you know, and we talked a little bit when you were going through some of the stuff you went through. And there was, I remember when I talked to you, you were struggling, pal. Like mm-hmm. you were going through some stuff. So to to hear that your where you're like you're where you're at now on this as far as like you've completely changed the environment like that just goes to show like you are the asset you could literally take you carrie and insert you into whatever situation and you can be the change and what i really want people to pick up on that is uh, with this is your attitude and your ability to deal with things and adversity and and hard and struggle and um dude, just negative and your just ability to, to take your environment, the out, like the, the outer outside influences of an environment or a situation, if you will, the exterior pressures, like you can literally become the pressure that refines coal into a diamond, like any one of us, um, and, and your, your mindset, like you're the perfect person to catalyst this because of just like your entire story from the beginning of your career. is just like, I want this. I'm going to go get this. I'm going to go get this. I don't care what this person says about this. Like you've literally become the element of change wherever you go. Like that's what makes you an asset. Like no matter what your strength deficits may be or your size or all the little shit, the gender, any of that bullshit, all that aside, like your biggest strength is you're an acolyte. Like literally you could take you and plug you into any environment and voila, we have a working organism, right? Even if it Mm -hmm. takes a second to get going, like a cold start or something, right? But like Mm -hmm. what I really want people to understand though, because like this is so important, like the right attitude and a little bit of grit your teeth and being willing to bear a burden for a little bit, like you guys can literally change the situation. If you're at work right now and you're listening to this and you're like, man, the people I work with are toxic, which is, hey, that's there's a lot of people in those positions. Let's be real. Like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. If you're at work right now listening to this, you're like, man, my environment's toxic or my circle, my friends. Like, hey, you can literally be that guy that shows up or gal that shows up tomorrow and be like, I'm not going to let my attitude contribute to this anymore. And you can become yeah. an agent of change. And when you do this, it, it's not necessarily the first or the second or the third or the fourth or the hundredth even or the thousandth, but I promise you, your leadership for those that are looking to grow, they will take notice. It will happen mm-hmm. where you will become noticed, and it all starts with a little bit of a heart and attitude adjustment. Would you agree yeah. with that? I agree totally. Like I, there's there's nothing in my bones or sinew that wants to work with a hundred of me. Um, I I cherish and love diversity like I I would that would be so boring um but like the attitude of I want to work with people that want to work in a high reliability organization I want people that are motivated I want people that that want to take pride in whatever job it is that you're doing like you know we joke all the time I mean yeah firefighters get get to do some very some some very glamorous things 
from time to time, whether it's, you know, rescuing somebody from a vehicle fire or accident or, you know, saving animals from, you know, one of the calls that we had this last year is uh, taking animals out of a burning uh, veterinary center, you know, things like that, that are, that are fairly glamorous and, you know, who doesn't love saving somebody's pet, right? But the things, the person that I want to work with is the person that takes just as much pride in that stuff as they do. Cause we also joke about the fact that we're paid janitors because we start every day by mopping and sweeping our entire station and taking out all the garbages and cleaning all the toilets and stuff. I want somebody that takes pride in our station and, and, and the little things just as much as we do some of those, those once in once in a million shots that, that we also have, like, I want somebody that can have a good attitude doing both of those things, you know, not saying that the, that saving a life isn't more important than scrubbing a toilet, but I want somebody that can find pride in, and recognize the betterment of the group by, you know, by putting their best into both tasks. And I think that, that is something no matter what you can lean into, you can lean into a good attitude and, and trying to improve your work environment and improve the quality of the products that you're putting out. No, that wonderfully said. And, and dude, your story has just been incredible. Um, this leads us to, uh, like, this is a perfect spot to parlay because you're, you're spitting fire right now. And I want to keep, coming, uh, especially like, I want to get into some of the frequently asked questions, our FAQ questions. Um, and just because I want to tap your knowledge and then I know you got to eat dinner and enjoy some time with your fellow before getting back to work. So I got to ask you the staple question, dude, and, and you know it's coming. It's the <laughs> question of the show, especially from you. What is a blue-collar barbarian to you? I think a blue-collar barbarian is somebody that just really leans into whatever it is they're doing, whether it's their work environment, whether it's uh, their home environment, whether it's their hobbies, somebody that leans in is, and is willing to dig their heels in during the tough times. I want to see the person that that uh can can recognize as we were talking about earlier um because we we've definitely all had some hurdles these last few years right like recognizing that at some point uh if you lean in hard enough you're going to get over all of those hurdles but leans into them and doesn't doesn't just fall you know fall flat and say oh my goodness look at another one i want somebody that leans in and and pushes through some of those trialing times and, and, and makes their world a better place for it. Absolutely. I, Hey, I'll take that answer all day long. I mean, to, to me, like we kind of joked about this off air, what a blue collar barbarian is. I kind of was telling you like, or even on air, we talked about this. This isn't just the guy that shows up and does this clocks in clock out. Like, no, like you gotta have a, there's got to be a tempo to that heartbeat, right? There's got to be a purpose. Mm-hmm. And you might not even know what it is. But there's got to be something that makes you tick, something that gives you that that just extra little, you know what I mean? Somebody that's willing the to edge. turn the base. Yeah, yes. somebody that's going to turn the base up. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's go. Like you said on the details thing, like just a second ago, like uh, you joke about being janitors, but you're right. No, it's the person that wipes the piss off the seat. It's the person that sees that shopping cart that's not put away in the stall and goes and grabs it and walks it and sets it back in the stall to clean up. It's the guy that doesn't walk by trash. He picks it up and throws it in the trash can, even though it's mm-hmm. right next to the trash can and it wasn't his mess. It's it's the person that sees somebody uh, struggling and maybe helps open a door for them or helps them across the street. Like 
like the barbarian is that person that goes the extra mile that goes the yes. fucking distance and does it unwitnessed the the person that doesn't have to say it they don't have to get you know accolades for it it's just it's it's for their soul the person that does it to build their soul and continue to to work on themselves is is a true barbarian to me certainly yeah no perfect um going right continuing along with this uh so uh this is a good one especially for you but what what character traits do you see missing like um in the workforce today and and this isn't targeting like an individual like but like you know what what's something that's missing because when I think about this, I'll preference this. Like, I, I think like, like one of the things that I see uh, missing personally is like, there's people don't act with intention anymore. Like there's mm-hmm. just no, it's just, Oh, you told me to do that. I'll go do that. But like, Hey man, you know that like you also to do that, you should do this and that. There's just no pride. Right. Like no Ah, uh, so, so that last word that you said, you, you took it right out of my mouth. And like, there's, to me, there's a difference between, uh, pride and arrogance. And I think yeah. that we still, tr- we have arrogance and abundance, but I don't see the quiet pride anymore. There's a difference. And, you know, I've, I've said this even to some of my female friends, you know, you, you look at it even as the, the person that they're attracted to is is clearly just this arrogant person and yet they're attracted to it because they're mistaking arrogance for confidence and pride right and uh i don't i don't know how we get back to just that level of pride versus arrogance but it seems like we have arrogance in spade and yet the the pride and duty i guess um is is definitely a little bit lacking for me and i hope we can figure out a way to to push the needle back the other way yeah, and so with that, would you say, um, like, what, like maybe a little bit of humility is missing as well? Then, yes. Is that yeah, a fair I think assessment. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I I could see that. Um, I I want to caution people though. Like you do need to be confident. You don't need to be yes. arrogant. You don't. You do. You don't need to be arrogant. But you do need to have confidence. Like it's okay to know you got it. But yes, those are two separate things, though. And anymore, yeah. people yeah. see them as uh, two sides of the same coin, and and they're not. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's confidence and pride in what you do. Like my confidence level, and granted, I'm still growing. I'm still learning, especially having had a decade and a half in wildland fire, and much less than that in structure fire. I'm still building my confidence in the structure side of things like I, there's crew members that I would absolutely have take, take the lead on certain situations. If there's a kid in the second story of a window with a fire surrounding him, I'm definitely going to be looking at my captain to just give me orders and I'm going to follow them and we're going to get that, that guy out. But I'm, I'm definitely not taking the lead in that situation because I'm new to it. But um, you know, so, so there's building, there's building your confidence in a skill set, um, and and having some some pride in that. But there's some people that even I know that would be like, stand aside, let me do this. I can do this all on my own, and, and that's not the best result. The best result is what's best for that kid in that window, right? 
So just making sure that you're doing what's best for the overall mission and goal and team and really setting everybody up for success is, you know, there, there's times to re-examine that even in yourself. Like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the team? Is this the best outcome for us or me? Yeah. Check your ego at the door. Yes. (laughs) All right. Um, What is a piece of leadership advice you'd give to women today? So I specifically want to ask you that for our, our, our lady barbarians out there and, and you are out there in force and I, I see you, I respect you like deeply, but you know, you've been like, we kind of covered briefly because we didn't want to get into all the petty stuff because your story is more on resilience, right? It's not about the fact that, Oh, you experience hard. It's about that you took hard and created results with it. Right. You mm-hmm. can ask that. So, but what's something you give, you'd give to women today? Like what's a, I mean, you're the perfect gal to give somebody leadership advice, dude. I'd say that competence is strength. Uh, mm. You know, don't don't necessarily think that you have to overwork or overprove. Like, build your skill sets, build into that, and with that, and the ability to say these words because they're important. I think whether you're a man or a woman, but I don't know. Uh, and then the next words, let me find out. You know, just just being able to admit when you don't know uh, is going to gain you so much more respect at all levels than making up an answer or flying by the seat of your pants or anything like that. Uh, recognizing that you don't have to be a jack of all trades. Uh, for example, when I was in Wildland, there's a guy I know. He's got a steel chainsaw tattoo on his arm. He was probably born revving a chainsaw. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that. I know more about cutting down a tree and the technicalities of uh, of rebuilding a chainsaw than that guy does, right? So use other people's strengths and let them showcase those because we talked about that difference between uh, arrogance and confidence, right? Let them yeah. showcase their confidence and let them showcase their skill sets that, that, that they have pride in. Um, so don't, don't try to do everything by yourself. You have... That's like you're part of a team. Build the team, build the strength. Yeah, no, incredible answer. And that's, yeah, that's wisdom. I mean, that men, take note, go ahead and rewind this. Listen to that again because it applies to you just as much, you know? Like it applies to all of us. Yeah, I don't know. Let me find out. No, incredible advice. Like, and like go and do the research yourself, dude. Like just find out for real. Yes. Know? Um, my final question, how can someone stand out coming into the wildland community? What's somebody that, you know, like, how do they stand out to you? Uh, well, one thing that anybody will tell you, cause it is important is, uh, take pride in the shape that you come in, like know, know what type of crew you're coming into, know what their expectations are for you. Prepare for that. Uh, a lot of those crews obviously start up in the summer, so by the winter time, if you really want it, if you want to go after it, especially any of those type one shoot, uh, crews, whether it's hot shot, repelling, smoke jumping, like you need to be living and breathing your, your fitness because, uh, because they expect it of you and, and you should expect it of them. You should be able to rely on each other in that way. Um, so just making sure that you're coming in prepared both physically and mentally, cause it's a long, it's a long summer. It's a long game. Anybody that's been in it for a while knows there's a really interesting, like, 
both your mental mental and physical health is peaked at the beginning of the fire season. So just be prepared for that. You're going to be sleeping on the ground. You're going to lose sleep. You're going to eat fire camp food, uh, you know, Lunchables, all sorts of, or not Lunchables, but the little freaking, um, you have kids, you know, the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that are like in a circle that are oh, like come are out of best, a bag. <laughs> yeah. But like your, <laughs> your nutrition isn't. Yeah, Uncrustables, there we go, not Lunchables, but uh, yeah, you're you're eating those things, like, you're just, your, your mental and physical health takes a toll over the summer, so just make sure you're taking care of yourself and watching, watching yourself and your buddies as you're going on through that, and one thing that any good crew will teach you uh, that you need to be prepared for, because, like, breaking you down should be to build you back up again. And any of those type one crews I was on, the most incredible lesson that I learned from them, which I've learned many, is that your mental quit is here and your physical quit is here. And any good crew, any good organization is going to help you close that gap and realize that you can do a lot more than you expect that you can do even. So they're they're going to they're going to build uh break you down before they build you back up, but you're going to come stronger out of it at the end. Yeah, that that reminds me of the military. I like that though. And I can I can certainly guarantee you that that the more that they break you or the more that they push you mentally, the stronger you'll become just abundantly mm-hmm. in all areas of your life. Um Terry, this brings us to unfortunately because dude i could talk to you for hours but um <laughs> I, I could i love your stories I, I like just the way you do life you're a very cool person and you do a, you know we could have a whole nother thing on adventures and tagging seals and all the other cool shit that you do but um this is the part where we go to closing notes and um you're going through something very hard right now and, and we don't necessarily need to focus our conversation on that but what i what i would like in this is w- when people are hearing this it's going to be you know we're starting the new year out the holidays are over, reality setting back in. It's been hard. Maybe you've been propped up by fucking fake smiles on social media and seeing the, the world that everybody is pretending is so great. And it's not so great for a lot of us. It, and and it's, it is hard. Um, this is the closing thoughts. And and tonight I wanted to do something special in, in tribute and just uh, wanted, I, want, I wanted to take a moment to uh, to say that if you are going through something in any of these communities and if Carrie or I can be of any kind of service to you, uh, event, or if we could be um, an asset or an ally or just an ear, one, uh, please reach out to either of us. You'll see that she's going to be tagged in our stuff here. Please reach out to her, get a hold of me, and I can get you in touch with her. We can get you in touch with all sorts of resources. I want to take a special second just to say that uh, you're not alone. I know I say this in these episodes, but I sincerely mean you are not alone and you are much more valuable to us here than you are in the ground in any circumstance, no matter what you're going through. Please just know that we have love for you. We have respect for you. We see you. We know it hurts and we want to help. And, um, I just want to give you an opportunity to share something for, you know, in closing thoughts, I'm going to ask you for, um, if you have any, a book suggestion or any kind of powerful quote that you'd like to leave us to feed our minds. Right. Cause I think that's an important thing, but close us out with something. Just give us something for somebody going through something hard right now. 
Oh, man. So one thing that I've always uh, gone back to uh, time and again, and it's going to be a little pinky up for this. So like, bear, bear with me, blue collars. But uh, have you heard uh, Rudyard Kipling's If? It's a poem. So that's why I'm saying pinky up, because uh, yeah. I know, I know no, it may not cool. be. But for me, like it recenters me in terms of uh, trying to continue to improve myself and, and recognize that I'm not necessarily some of the first ones that have encountered these and it recenters me towards my goal. So um, if it's OK, I'll, I'll read it. It's it's going to be maybe like a, a minute um, if okay. that's OK. Yes. OK, yes. so Rudy Kipling's If, if you can keep your head about you or if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired of waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated. Don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream, but not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it in one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither fo foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count on you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. That is powerful. <laughs> so I've, I've had it printed out um, when, when, my, um, when the repel fatality happened and one of my uh, repellers was struggling, I calligraphied this out and gave it to him and he had it fr framed and hung up. And, you know, it just has a lot of really good points to remember in terms of just trying to, trying to be a good person and, and, uh, and keep going through tough times. So. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. That is, uh, man, it's just got me thinking. I really like that bit about knowing. I like the whole thing. I don't know. I'm a very complex <laughs> person. You know this about me. That's a, yes, yes. It's very deep. I appreciate you sharing that so much. And um, listen, uh, what, what I, what I want to do for you is uh, I want to take just a couple seconds here of silence. And uh, out of respect for your fallen, uh, your comrade, your, bro your brother, essentially, if you will, um, that'd be okay with you if we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, um, I'm praying for you. Um, I'm thinking about you. 
Uh, I'm here for you too. You know that. Um, I really want to thank you for taking your time to come on this show. Uh, spend an hour and a half with me and just tell your story in a different way. Um, like I, I meant everything I said at the beginning in the introduction, like you're one of my favorite people. Like I've loved our friendship over the years and I, I am over the moon to see that you're uh, getting married and that your life is developing and to see you just continue to crush and like sincerely, like I'm so happy for you, dude. Like uh, I never really got to tell you thank you for your help and your support of me and some of my other endeavors. Uh, I'm not going to list them here, but you know what they are. You've, mm -hmm. you've, you've always been like a, a very good friend and a, and a very reliable human being to me and i can't tell you how much i appreciate that especially in the world we're in today it means a tremendous amount um so if i can do anything for you going forward if, if uh, this show our network if we can do anything to support you any of your crew your guys um, we would love to do whatever we can to do to help especially as we grow i'll probably be in touch to try to send you guys some stuff and do you know you know me so thanks that's awesome more. yeah I'll be in touch let's uh more. let's crush it this year and let's let's talk more about uh trying to get out in the woods together at some point that would be fun yeah absolutely we got a bear to kill so let me end this show really quick and then i'll talk to you offline really quick tyler will probably scrub this part but so carrie thank you so much for coming and for sharing um, just your powerful story and for helping our audience understand that navigating hard times is very, very much doable and that dealing with trauma is, I mean, honestly, it's just part of the game anymore in the world we live in. You're an incredible person. You're an incredible asset. And uh, I can't wait to see what people take from this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks.